welcome to Over in Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast, where we read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft and sometimes make an audiobook of it. Uh, today, we're going to be reading the second chapter of Call of Cthulhu, and with me is somebody doing some bayou shenanigans. Jesse! Hi! What you, what you doing in the bayou? I, uh, I make all my money off of killing thousands of Nutria rats. I'm doing my job to save the environment. A true, true American hero, Jesse. True yes. American hero. Just have to cut off the tails. That's not really shenanigans, though. You're just doing something important. Yeah. While you do it, though, there's other shenanigans, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the only uh, sustainable fur trade we have in the U.S. is Nutria rat fur. (laughs) It's actually very good. Yep. Kill them all. Yeah, just fucking get rid of them. Otherwise, they're going to destroy the U.S. It's like armored catfish. It's going to be a a combination of wild boar and, uh, wild boar and, uh, Nutria rats. going to destroy- Also, catfish are a huge problem in the South. Oh. Well, you know, I'm I'm more worried about those uh, packing catfish. They have guns. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I was trying to, uh, you know. Just... <laughs> I didn't give up at the end there. It's okay. But yeah, today we're going to be reading Chapter 2 of Call of Cthulhu. Last time, um, this the main character went through his dead uncle's stuff who died a nautical-related death. Um and not on the sea by the way it was just by it by the ocean um and he found his uncle was like researching this sculptor's weird dreams uh the art twinks weird dreams uh um and now we're moving on to the next part of his investigation basically cool yeah fun times i did love the art twink i will miss him but his time is over uh, to be fair, like the art twink would originally got annoying. All right, shall we get into this? Sure. Okay. Chapter two: The Tale of Inspector Lagrasse. The older matters which had made the sculptor's dream embossed relief so significant to my uncle formed the subject of the second half of his long manuscript. Once before, it appears Professor Angle had seemed. The hellish outlines of the nameless monstrosity puzzled over the unknown hieroglyphs and heard the ominous syllables, which can be rendered only as Cthulhu, and all this in so stirring and horrible a connection that it is small wonder he pursued young Wilcox with queries and demands for data. The earlier experience had come in 1908, 17 years before when the American Archaeological Society held its annual meeting in St. Louis. Professor Engel, as befitted one of his authority and attainments, had had a prominent part in all the deliberations and was one of the first to be approached by the several outsiders who took advantage of the convocation to offer questions for correct answering and problems for expert solutions. The chief of these outsiders, and in short time the focus of interest for the entire meeting, was a commonplace-looking middle-aged man who had traveled all the way from New Orleans for certain special information unobtainable from any local source. His name was John Raymond Lagrasse, and he was, by profession, an inspector of police. With him he bore the subject of his visit. 
a grotesque, repulsive, and apparently very ancient stone statuette, whose origin he was at a loss to determine. It must not be fancied that an Inspector Lagrasse had the least interest in archaeology. On the contrary, his wish for enlightenment was prompted by purely professional considerations. The statuette, idol, fetish, or whatever it was, had been captured some months before in the wooded swamp south of New Orleans, during a raid on a supposed voodoo meeting, and so singular and hideous were the rites connected with it, that the police could not but realize that they had stumbled on a dark cult totally unknown to them, and infinitely more diabolic than even the blackest of the African voodoo circles. Real quick question. Uh huh. So first off, a cab. But second off, let's say <laughs> I was going to say uh, that actually. Let's say, let's say, let's say you're a cop, um, and it isn't, uh, you know, and let's say you're a TV cop. Yes. Okay. So you're a TV cop, mm-hmm. and you run across some like real fucked up shit. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um... one of your friends is just like, "Hey, I know all about this. They're this cult, and also they love to." You know, I don't know, like, do some real shit, weird shit. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't you be suspicious of that person that they could just pull that out? <laughs> yeah, the- I was going to say, I would just think like, that they were a member of the cult. <laughs> yeah, like, I, like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's not, maybe they're w- well read and everything, but like. Yeah, like. I'm just. <laughs> buddy, how do you know about all these uh, very specific rights of this very obscure cult? Huh? Yeah. Huh? You know, it's it's like when someone it's like when someone jokes about a kink, but they get like they do get real specific about their jokes. Yeah, about that kink, like you're just like. like mm. <laughs> 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 It'd be like, oh, I swear, I'm not into that, and and am I? I'm like, are you sure about that? <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> it's such a good, it's such a good sound effect. <laughs> It's so good. Yes, me, local TV cop who is uh two days from retiring, but and also I have a a new baby somehow. Yeah, so you know, I'm just saying, you know, I, yeah. I would be suspicious of any cop that's like real knowledgeable. Oh yeah, especially if they're a cop. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, cops. Co- I mean, cops would do that too. Oh yeah, they well, told me into cults. There are into cults. What am I saying? Yeah, there's so many QAnon cops. There is an abundance of QAnon cops. That was a good point, though. Like, it's probably a good thing none of his uh, anybody in his like station knew anything about it. So I'd be like, hmm. Of its origin, apart from the erratic and unbelievable tales exhorted from the captured members, absolutely nothing was to be discovered. Hence the anxiety of the police for any antiquarian lore which might help them to place the frightful symbol, and through it track down the cult to its fountainhead. Inspector Lagrasse was scarcely prepared for the sensation which his offering created. One sight of the thing had been enough to throw the assembled men of science into a state of tense excitement, and they lost no time in crowding around him to gaze at the diminutive figure, whose utter strangeness an air of genuine abysmal antiquity hinted so potently at unopened and archaic vistas. No recognized school of sculpture had animated this terrible object, yet centuries and even 
thousands of years seem recorded in its dim and greenish surface of unplaceable stone. The figure, which was fully passed slowly from man to man for close and careful study, was between seven and eight inches in height and of exquisitely artistic workmanship. It represented a monster of vaguely arthropoid outline, but with an octopus-like head whose face was a mass of feelers and scaly, rubbering-looking body, prodigious claws on hind and forefeet, and long, narrow wings behind. This thing, which seemed instinct with fearsome and unnatural malignancy, was of a somewhat bloated copulence, and squatted evilly on a rectangular block or pedestal covered with indecipherable characters. The tips of the wings touched the back edge of the block, the seat occupied the center, whilst the long curved claws of the doubled-up crouching hind legs gripped the front edge and extended a quarter of the way down toward the bottom of the pedestal. The cephalopod head was bent forward, so that the ends of the facial feelers brushed the backs of huge forepaws, which clasped to the croucher's elevated knees. The aspect was so totally unknown. Its vast, awesome, and incalculable age was unmistakable. Yet not one link did shoe in any known type of art belonging to civilization's youth, or indeed any other time. Totally separate and apart, its very material was a mystery. For the soapy, greenish-black stone, with its golden or iridescent flecks and striations, resembled nothing familiar to geology or mineralogy. The characters along the base were equally baffling, and no member present, despite a representation of half the world's expert learning in this field, could form the least notion of if even their remotest linguistic kinship. They, like the subject and material, belonged to something horribly remote and distinct from mankind as we know it, something frightfully suggestive of old and unhallowed cycles of life in which our world and our conception have no part. Uh, real quick, uh, I keep imagining uh, the lighthouse, but instead of the mermaid figurine, it's this one. I mean, to be fair, like, I think <laughs> I think our patch would have still probably, like, jerked it because, you know, because <laughs> everyone knows the, the saddest people come the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my god. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Just jerking it to a tiny little Cthulhu figurine. <laughs> oh my god. No, oh, I love the light so much. It was such a long paragraph. I mean, to be fair, that like, the way that that was described was good enough that people were able to make the exact thing multiple times. Like, it really does perfectly describe it. It tells you ex exactly how big it is, exactly where the features begin and end. Um, uh, yeah, like, it's perfect. It's yeah. also two-thirds of that page. Also, I want to say this. Why is it horrifying? I think that would be kind of cute, it's you just know? A, it's this little octopus guy. It's got little wings. Oh, it's corpulent. You could also just say it's chubby. He's, he's just chunky. He's got a little chunk. That's okay. Yeah, we we just say we just. Although, although to be fair, I don't think us as uh, neurodivergent queer people or have any place to say what other people would say think is cute or uh, <laughs> good. 
Like I do think that alligators and some sharks are very cute. So I think leeches are cute. So like, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I think leeches are cute. Like I oh. want to get some. Uh, <laughs> our tastes are a little different. We yeah, also I, I, would I, fuck the fish people in Shadow Over Smith. So it was because they're hot. Obviously, they're hot fish people. God, obviously. Like, why would everyone fuck them? Besides yeah, them giving like them gold. Everybody in that village fucks them. <laughs> like everybody. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying not everyone has very low standards. Yeah. Like, they have to be hot. They gotta be. Everybody but. fucks them in that village. Oh, also we're monster fuckers. We also can't say, you know. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Our tastes are a little spicy. Yeah. <sighs> oh, wait, wait, sorry. I'm borrowing a soundbite from another one that I do. Another podcast that we do, but uh, it's this one. Love comes wearing disguises. <laughs> How to go about shoes. Breaking yes. shapes and sizes. I'm a man who's got a very Okay, that's for that's for uh, creepy critters, and it's the can you get it? Oh, uh, it's section. perfect. So you know, it's perfect. It fits, you know. Oh, I so, love it. Yeah, I'm so glad you have that on your soundboard. I'm gl- I'm glad that I found the soundboard. It's actively made my life better. And yet, as the members severally shook their heads and confessed defeat to the inspector's problem, there was one man. In that gathering, who suspected a touch of bizarre familiarity in the monster's shape and writing, and who presently told with some diffidence of the odd trifle he knew. This person was the late William Channing Webb, professor of anthropology in Princeton University, an explorer of no slight note. Professor Webb had been engaged 48 years before in a tour of Greenland and Iceland, in search of some runic inscriptions which he failed to unearth, and whilst high up on the West Greenland coast, a singular tribe or cult of degenerates, whose religion, a curious form of devil worship, chilled him with its deliberate bloodthirstiness and repulsiveness. It was a faith of which other people knew little, in which they mentioned only with shudders, saying it had come down from the horribly ancient aeons, before ever the world was made. Besides nameless rites and human sacrifices, there were certain queer hereditary rituals addressed to a supreme elder devil, or Tornasuk, and of this, Professor Webb had taken a careful phonetic copy from an aged Anjakok, or wizard priest, expressing the sounds in Roman letters as best he knew how. But just now, of prime significance, was the fetish which this cult had cherished, and around which they danced when the aurora leaped high over the ice cliffs. It was, the professor stated, a very crude boss-relief of stone, compromising a hideous picture and some cryptic writing, and so far as he could tell, it was a rough parallel in all essential features of the bestial thing now lying before the meeting. Okay, I have two questions. Uh-huh. What did the Inuit do against uh, Lovecraft? Yeah, like, how the fuck did you ever meet... <sighs> Not saying that they didn't live in, like, New York or on the East Coast, but it seems extremely unlikely. 
Like, like it's more likely that an Italian man is going to be mean to him than like an Inuit person. <laughs> and you know? was probably mean Anintatuk. to him. Sorry, Anintatuk. Inuit's one of them. One yeah. of the tribes. And Nook, Intatuk, and... Anintatuk. Yeah. In the terror, there are Nook. A great series, by the way. Definitely watch it. It's about how imperialism will get you murdered. Yeah, also, the other thing. Um... Who doesn't want to be a goddamn wizard priest? That sounds awesome. That sounds rad as fuck. Also, okay, sorry. I have so many problems with this. I remember <laughs> I remember the last like the first time we read this, we talked about how the fuck is a religion that is not Christianity based devil worshipping. Yeah. How first off, what what is a devil in there thing? Like, the devil is very specific and also people also, Christians don't know what the fuck the devil or Satan it's is true. half the time. Oh, the um, Satan or Lucifer, they think he's the same person. They are not, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Like, it's FYI. like in the, in, in the King James Bible version, if you're not going by, like, if you're not going by the Hebrew, for, like, translations, if you're going by the King, uh, you know, King James version, like, they're different people. Second yeah. off, people forget that he's a fallen angel all the time. Um, like, but I'm not getting get in that part. But like, what it's, what is a devil in yeah. that? Like, like a demon. You could say a demon. Demons are pretty universal. Yeah, they're called different things, but demons are pretty universal. A yeah. devil though, devil's like a very specific thing. Yeah, that's pretty specifically. That's pretty like uh, Christian centric. Yeah, and also, um, I like I understand things outside of your culture can look weird. Be scaly. Um, Amer- Americans are fucking weird when it comes to stuff. Like, oh. if you break down any of the stuff we do, oh, like it's so weird and terrifying half the time. Oh. Like, 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 not less than like a hundred something years ago. Like, they were like fucking like hanging with people for like just saying, "Hey, my neighbor's a witch." Yeah, and like, well, somebody said you were a witch, and then Someone they. Said- Made they, up a they, bunch they, they, of they, reasons why you were a witch. Or like, yeah, or like, for, I like, don't know. Maybe the whole police force is based off of slave catchers. Oh fuck, yeah. Or um, how our entire sleep schedule is completely fucked. It's not the same as it was a hundred years ago. Like, there's so many fucked things about being an American. Like, yeah, why our current sleep schedule is specifically influenced by the industrial revolution and capitalists, so that we waste less time sleeping. And more time working. Like, there's... Like, it's, like, I like just the don't way understand. we used to sleep is you would sleep for, like, four hours. You would wake up for, like, an hour or two. You would do whatever that you would do in the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> rob houses, have sex, garden, whatever you felt like. Maybe and then you have would, sex in a garden. Uh, maybe you have sex after you rob someone <laughs> in their house while you're still robbing them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's really funny to me. Oh God, not again! They, on the dining room table, we eat here. <laughs> um, and then you would sleep for like another four hours. Yeah, it's just I don't know. There's a lot of fuck things about being American. Like, at least they have wizard priests. Wizard also, priests. How's it a crude yeah. boss? How's it a crude boss relief? Uh, if if you could get that much like detail out of it 
Exactly. I know, like, the way he described the boss relief that the Art Twink made, I was like, damn, like, that's actually, like, really specific. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm, you know, I know it's Lovecraft. I understand. He's got to dunk on the minorities. But, like, come on. Like- <laughs> How much do you want to bet that this dude snorted mummy dust? Dude, okay, sorry, that's the thing I forgot to bring. They were actively eating people at this time. Uh, yeah, they were snorting mummies, making tea out of them, just eating them sometimes, were, too? No, not even mummies. Sometimes they would drink the blood of executed people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't, no, you yeah, can't do that. Yeah, times they used all sorts of, like, body parts from various dead people no, for No, stuff. I'm talking, like, But during, even, yeah, and, 1920s. And, at Guardian times, they were still doing ca- medical cannibalism. Yep. It didn't stop. It didn't stop until sometime around the thirties. Yep. Like we were actively doing cannibalism, like all the time. Like I'm pretty sure if uh, the Egyptologist Carter uh, hadn't died, they would still be doing it. Yeah. Like it's it's just it's like the uh, one character. Native American character in Parks and Rec said, I know two things about white people. They love Matchbox 20 and they're afraid of curses. <laughs> You're not wrong. So, like like for like anyone look up look up medical cannibalism. It's wild. It is It's wild. way more fucked up than any quote unquote backwards tribe would do. They're uh I think not Van Gogh. Maybe it was Monet got a there used to be a brown called mummy brown and it was supposedly made from mummies <laughs> it probably wasn't always it was just like to sell it and then like how could you prove that it was made out of mummy anyways uh so he used it once and then he felt so bad about it that he like buried it and put a grave marker on top of it yeah <laughs> just, just but fucked. yeah just like all the shit that europeans did to egyptian mummies Back in the day, that's bad enough. And then you add on top of it, they were doing that to, like, other shit, too. Just dead people, in general. From anywhere. Hey, when, when people were being hung, like, it was very common practice to just get, just, like, the, hang- the hangmen to, like, sell their blood and body parts. Yep. Yep. Because there's too little mummy around. There's <laughs> not enough mummy, you gotta sell the dead guy's juices. Okay, sorry. I just, I, I, ugh. That's Read like, the room, Lovecraft. This data received with suspense and astonishment by the assembled members proved doubly exciting to Inspector Lagrasse, and he began at once to ply his informant with questions. Having noted and copied an oral ritual among the swamp cult worshippers his men had arrested, he besought the professor to remember as best he might the symbols taken down amongst the uh, Diabolus. There then followed an exhaustive comparison of details. In a moment of really odd silence, when both the detective and the scientist agreed on the virtual identity of the phrase common to two hellish rituals, so many worlds of distance apart. What, in substance, both the wizards and the Louisiana swamp priests had chanted to their kindred idols was something very like this. The word divisions being guessed at from traditional breaks in the phrase as chanted aloud. (laughs) 
Lagrasse had one point in advance of Professor Webb, where several among his prisoners had repeated to him what older celebrants had told them the words meant. This text, as given, ran something like this. In his house at Relay, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. And now, in response to general and urgent demand, Inspector Lagrasse related as fully as possible his experience with the swamp worshippers, telling a story to which I could see my uncle attach profound significance. It savored of the wildest dreams of mythmaker and theosophist, and disclosed an astonishing degree of cosmic imagination. Among such half-case and pariahs, as might the least expect to possess it. On November 1st, 1907, there had come to the New Orleans police a frantic summons from the swamp and lagoon country to the south. The squatters there, mostly primitive but good-natured descendants of Lafitte's men, were in a grip of stark terror from an unknown thing which had stolen upon them in the night. It was voodoo, apparently, but voodoo of more terrible sort than they had ever known and some of their women and children had disappeared, since the malevolent Tom-Tom had begun its incessant beating far within the black haunted woods where no dweller ventured. Now I'm going to think it every time I read it. There were insane shouts and harrowing screams, soul-chilling chants, and dancing devil flames, and the frightened messenger added, the people could stand it no more. So a body of 20 police, filling two carriages in an automobile, had set out in the late afternoon, with the shivering squatter as guide. At the end of the passable road, they alighted, and four miles splashed on in silence. Through the terrible cypress woods, where the day never came, ugly roots and malignant hanging nooses of Spanish moss beset them. And now, with the pile of dank stones or fragment of rotting wall, intensified by its hint of morbid habitation, a depression which every malformed tree and every fungus islet combined to create. At length, the squatter settlement, a miserable huddle of huts, hove in sight, and hysterical dwellers ran out to cluster around the group of bobbing lanterns. The muffled beat of tom-toms was now faintly audible far, far ahead, and a curdling shriek came at infrequent intervals when the wind shifted. A reddish glare, too, seemed to filter through the pale undergrowth beyond endless avenues of forest night, reluctant to even be left alone again. Each one of the cowed squatters refused point-blank to advance another inch toward the scene of unholy worship. So Inspector Lagrasse and his 19 colleagues plunged on unguided into black arcades of horror that none of them had ever trod before. I was just thinking, for somebody that I don't think has ever been to the bayou or a swamp, uh, HP is pretty good at describing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he seems to, like, write about stuff he reads about all the time. Oh, uh, that's is... true. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, like... You know, he had that Egyptology phase, which, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> There's a reason why we didn't read under the pyramids or try to again. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, the nameless city was unintentionally very funny. <laughs> I yes, uh, yeah. I'll I'll give I'll give HP that one. He, you know, for a unintentional comedy story, you know, he did pretty good. 
It's pretty good. It's pretty great. Yeah. Gotta love those little lizard people. I wish there were more. <laughs> like, okay, if we're gonna, okay, so here's, I had this, I had, I had this idea. Uh-huh. Okay, so, <clears throat> remember when we were discussing about, uh, you know, just rewriting, like, adding, like, a paragraph, you know, to oh, Lovecraft yeah. story? <laughs> yeah. um, now, <clears throat> I thought of two that would be real funny. Okay. Anytime that they describe the, uh, <clears throat> in the Nameless City, anytime that they describe the, uh, like, the hieroglyphics and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, they describe, they describe the person having to basically, like, get on their stomach to be able to see it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and that they basically have to crawl because it seems to be made for, I don't know, something about the size of a, you know, a lizard that's something long that and flat. Something that doesn't walk on long, two, like, two long legs. Okay, and the second one. Um, <clears throat> you know how in uh, Shadow of Rensmith, the uh, the main character is, like, in that hotel room because like you say it a little bit too late oh yeah yeah add the paragraph right before he hears all the like the the deep ones like try to get him just just add a paragraph where like it just it's just him jerking off like right beforehand (laughs) and he gets interrupted (laughs) god his nut is ruined by the great old ones (laughs) damn i can't believe it was blue balled by the great old ones maybe maybe add something not again the lurking fear right before right before he discovers the the dead the guy's face gnawed off he was jerking off in his in the bedroom <laughs> just trying to pass the time like i can't go to sleep it's spooky i'm just gonna j- just if the thunder's too loud i guess there's only one thing i can do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um you know Ooh. you know stuff like that i love it <laughs> I the the shadow over in Smith one is really good. <laughs> the timing's very good. Like maybe maybe in the music uh, or the music of Eric Kazan, it just it just uh, we just add little little things here where where Einrich is like like writes on the board, leave me alone, and the person <laughs> just moves it away. <laughs> Goes outside, hears like the slapping noise. What is that? Maybe he's playing music. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I'm I'm done with okay. that. <laughs> I like it. Good ideas. Good ideas. Add them to the Google Doc. <laughs> the region now entered by the police was one of traditionally evil respute, substantially known and untraversed by white men. I like how he just gave that away. <laughs> just. He, he did not sugarcoat what he actually meant. Yeah, white white people don't come here, so it's obviously it's just very savage. evil. It's gotta be. Yeah, the lack of the the lack of mayo and patchouli is just <laughs> oh, so awful. All that white bread that could be here. Man, I smell sauerkraut. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Had those saltine crackers. I could be having one right now. But instead we're in this place where no white man has tread before. Man, they, they all they all they all they sorry. I'm just talking to where all only white uh, white men tread uh now. But uh it's um <clears throat> they, all they serve is salads, but it's all those salads with like jello and mayo in it. Oh god. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
you know, truly an accursed place. <laughs> it's so gross. There, there's a Twitter called uh, '70s Dinner Party," and it's all those recipes. Ooh, sorry. God, you don't need Jello in a salad. Don't. Well, how else? Are, I mean, what else are you going to serve beside your your crown of hot dogs that also <laughs> have uh, that for some reason have pineapple and like kale leaves around it? <laughs> your your, uh, your shrimp gelatin mold is incomplete. <laughs> <laughs> With that, your crown of hot dogs, <laughs> Vienna sausages, not just hot dogs. <laughs> You know, the, the one thing that I think uh, will prove just about anything, like, white people, white people food from, like, the 50s didn't, didn't like, <sighs> move on with us. Oh, but, yeah. But, you know, soul food, uh, which has been unchanged oh, since, yeah. you know, it stayed around for some reason. Like, there are certain, like, poor people food from the 1950s have moved on. Like, mac and cheese and hot dogs. Classic. Oh, yeah. Well, those, those are good. I mean, it's good, though. Uh, but yeah, yeah, nothing else really though. Ugh. Like cream I mean, spinach. Be, okay, wait, wait. Ugh. Wait. The Midwest where everything's behind 30 years, they might still have some. Oh god, yeah. They might have a shrimp uh gelatin mold yet. It's somewhere in some woman's uh fridge and her name is like Pamela and she's yeah. going she's going to her friend Shelly's place later. It's uh Pamela Pamela and all of her genes are recessive. <laughs> Like every single she, she one. She doesn't like to go outside uh, in December because the air gets too spicy. Also, I um I am uh, still reading spicy. the book thing here. There were legends of a hidden lake unglimpsed by mortal sight, in which dwelt a huge, formless, white polypus thing with luminous eyes, and squatters whispered that that bat-winged devils flew up out of caverns in inner earth to worship it at midnight. They said it had been there before D'Eberville, before La Salle, before the natives, and before even the wholesome beasts and birds of the wood. It was nightmare itself, and to see it was to die. But it made men dream, and so they knew enough to keep away. The present voodoo orgy was, indeed, on the merest fringe of its abhorred area. But that location was bad enough. Hence, perhaps, the very place of the worship had terrified the squatters more than the shocking sounds and incidents. I have a question for you, Faith. Uh-huh. What makes a voodoo orgy? Well, you gotta have at least uh, four people. Okay. Uh, all your socks have to be off. Mm, okay, yeah, I agree with that one. Um, that's all I, that's the only, that's the orgy part. At least. <laughs> okay, and then I guess you do some some voodoo as well. And then I guess the voodoo is like the flavoring on top. Okay, I guess you could technically have a a, a flavor of just about any type of orgy if you yeah, wanted to. You could have a um, you could <laughs> you could have a Baptist orgy if you really wanted to. You could again. Gotta have more than four people. All your socks have to be off. Oh, also, I would also have to say there needs to be some catering, or you're just a rude host. Oh yeah. Gotta have some snacks. Yeah. Uh, like, gotta, gotta have water available, too. Yeah, people get dehydrated. <laughs> Only poetry or madness could do justice to the noises heard by Lagrasse's men as they plowed on through the black moors towards the red glare and the muffled tom-toms. There are vocal qualities peculiar to men and vocal qualities peculiar to beasts, 
and it is terrible to hear the ones when the source should yield the other. Animal fury and orgasmic license were whipped themselves to demonic heights, squawking ecstasies that tore and reverberated through those nighted woods like pestilential tempests from the gulfs of hell. Now and then, their less organized undulation would cease, and from what seemed a well-drilled chorus of hoarse voices would rise and sing-song chant that hideous phrase or ritual. Then the men, having reached a spot where the trees were thinner, came suddenly in sight of the spectacle itself. Four of them reeled, one fainted, and two were shaken into a frantic cry, which the mad cacophony of the orgy fortunately deadened. Legras dashed swamp water on the face of the fainting man, and all stood trembling and nearly hypnotized with horror. In a natural glade of the swamp stood a grassy island of perhaps an acre's extent, clear of the trees and tolerably dry. On this now leaped and twisted a more indescribable horde of human abnormality than any but a sime or angorola could paint. Void of clothing, this hybrid spawn were braying, bellowing, and writhing about a monstrous ring-shaped bonfire, in the center of which, revealed by occasional rifts in the curtain of flame, stood a great granite monolith, some eight feet in height, on top of which and corgris with its diminutiveness, rested the noxious carven statuette. From a wide circle of ten scaffolds set up at regular intervals, which the flame-girt monolith was a center hung, head downward, the oddly marred bodies of the helpless squatters who had disappeared. It was inside the circle that the ring of worshippers jumped and roared, the general direction of the mass motion being from left to right, an endless bacchanal between the ring of bodies and the ring of fire. Okay, I'm going to argue. Uh-huh. The squatters didn't disappear. You just weren't <laughs> looking hard enough. Yeah. Like, just didn't look hard enough. That's yeah. it. Just use your fucking eyeballs. Yeah. Maybe maybe look in the direction where you think white people don't go. Hey, uh, that's some weird spooky music coming from over there. Should we investigate? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's maybe where the squatters disappeared? No. They're just nah. gone. I think white people don't go here. I think it's one of those no-go zones because there's like one brown person who lives <laughs> at that house over there. Uh, he was mean to us once. Yeah. Didn't want our saltine crackers. Fine. Um, okay, I'll reread that. It may have been only imagination and it may have been only echoes which induced one of the men, an excitable Spaniard, to fancy he heard antiphonal responses to the ritual from some far and unilluminated spot deeper within the wood of ancient legendary and horror. This man, Joseph D. Galvez, I later met and questioned, and he proved distractingly imaginative. He indeed went so far as to hint of the faint beating of great wings and a glimpse of shining eyes and mountainous white bulk beyond the remotest trees. But I suppose he had been hearing, too, much native superstition. Actually, the horrified pause of the men was of comparatively brief duration, and although there must have been nearly a hundred 
celebrants in the throng. The police relied on their firearms and plunged determinedly into the nauseous rout. For five minutes, the resultant din and chaos were beyond description. Mild blows were struck, shots were fired, and escapes were made, but in the end, Lagrasse was able to count some 47 sullen prisoners, whom he forced to dress in haste and follow into line between two rows of policemen. Five of the worshippers lay dead, and two severely wounded ones were carried away on improvised stretchers by their fellow prisoners. The image on the monolith, of course, was carefully removed and carried back by Lagrasse. I, you know, why, why'd, you, why'd you break up the party? They're yeah. obviously having a good time. Damn. Yeah. You know how hard it is to arrange a good orgy? Yeah, especially a voodoo one, too. Like, Damn. Like, everybody's busy. Like, uh, Chad can't make it on Saturday nights. Uh, <laughs> it's like getting together a D&D group. <laughs> Stacy can't do Fridays, uh, but like the DM can't do any day but Friday or Saturday. It's just a mess. And he had to go and ruin it. Damn. Examined at headquarters after a trip of intense strain and weariness, the prisoners all proved to be men of very low, mixed-blooded, and mentally aberrant type. Most were seamen, and a sprinkling of black mulattoes. Largely West Indians or Bravo Portuguese from the Cape Verde Islands, gave a coloring of voodooism to the heterogeneous cult. But before many questions were asked, it became manifest that something far deeper and older than black fetishism was involved. Degraded and ignorant as they were, the creatures held with surprising consistency to the central idea of their loathsome faith. They worshipped, so they said, the great old ones, who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world out of the sky. Those old ones were gone now, inside the earth and under the seas, but their dead bodies had told their secrets and dreams to the first men, who formed cult which had never died. This was that cult, and the prisoners said it had always existed and always would exist, hidden in distant wastes and dark places all over the world, until the time when the great priest, Cthulhu, from his dark house in the mighty city of Relay, under the waters, should rise and bring the earth again beneath his sway. Some day he would call, when the stars were ready, and the secret cult would always be waiting to liberate him. Meanwhile, no more must be told. There was a secret which even torture could not extract. Mankind was not absolutely alone among conscious things of Earth, for shapes came out of the dark to visit the faithful few. But these were not the great old ones. No man had ever seen the old ones. The carven idol was great Cthulhu, but none might say whether or not the others were precisely like him. No one could read the old writing now, but things were told by word of mouth. The chanted ritual was not the secret. That was never spoken aloud, only whispered. The chant meant only this. Anna's house at Relay. Dead Cthulhu waits, dreaming. Only two of the prisoners were found sane enough to be hanged, and the rest were committed to various institutions. All denied a part in the ritual murders, and averred that the killing had always been done by black-winged ones, which had come to them from their memorial meeting place at the Haunted Wood. But, of those mysterious allies, no coherent account could ever be gained. 
What the police did extract came mainly from an immensely aged mestizo named Castro, who claimed to have sailed to strange ports and talked with undying leaders of the cult in the mountains of China. Old Castro remembered bits of hideous legend that paled the speculations of theosophists and made man and the world seem recent and transient indeed. There have been aeons when other things ruled the earth, and they had great cities. Remains of them, he said the deathless Chinese had told him, were still to be found as cyclopean stones on islands in the Pacific. They all died vast epochs of times before men came, but there were arts which could revive them, when the stars had come round again to the right positions in the cycle of eternity. They had, indeed, come themselves from the stars, and brought their images with them. For anybody, uh, if you're not reading along, uh, they and them has been capitalized through that entire paragraph. Yeah, it's because uh, HP believes in non-binary people. <laughs> uh, weirdly enough, uh, you think you, you know, think, oh, like he's... absolute terrible bigot in all other regards, but man, it respects non-binary people. Yeah. So, like, I uh, had a great grandfather who. Uh, uh, Let's say went partially insane whenever he fought uh, in the Pacific Theater. Oh God! Um, and he was, I would say, fairly like progressive for uh -huh. his uh, for his whole thing. Like he was okay with gay people. He was a blood, but he hated anyone who was Japanese. Just the Japanese. <laughs> oh yeah, you told me about this. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> whenever we'd have an Asian friend, he'd be like, they'd be like, "What's their last name?" I'd be like, Nguyen, they're okay. <laughs> Fuck. Or whatever. Oh, <laughs> like, God. Like, it was just like, ooh. Ooh. Like, I would just, you know, like, Lovecraft's kind of like that. Like, he's, he's, you know, he's okay with a lot of, he's he's okay with the LGBTQ. <laughs> he's just, he's just, he's just mad that Stonewall happened. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> HP uh, respects they them singular pronouns to a yeah. T. Uh, yeah. Hates every other race though. <laughs> he thought that the he thought that the people at Stonewall should have just you know complied with the police. Oh God. <laughs> also, that if they if they didn't want to be oppressed, they shouldn't have been brown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's okay with them being in drag though. Yeah, it's or, not or, it's, and, or being trans. It's not the, them being queer or trans or any of that. It's, it's that they weren't he's, white. That's his main he's problem. A, he's he's a he's a homo fascist. Oh, which, by the way, it. those do exist. They do. No. Like you can be whatever stripe of oh, you can be God. whatever stripe of LGBT oh, you can't want to be. You just have to be white as well. Yeah, it, like uh, HP is no problem with you dressing in drag. Or expressing your gender identity in the way that you wish, but goddamn, as long as you're white, that's okay. <laughs> that's not the problem. Yeah, so you're only a degenerate if you're not white. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, there we go. These great old ones, Castro continued, were not composed altogether of flesh and blood. They had shape, for did not this star fashion image prove it? But that shape was not made of matter. When the stars were right, they could plunge from the world, 
They could plunge from world to world through the sky, but when the stars were wrong, they could not live. But although they no longer live, they can never really die. They all lay in stone houses in the great city of Relay, preserved by the spells of mighty Cthulhu, for a glorious resurrection when the stars and the earth might once be ready for them. But at that time, some force from outside must serve to liberate their bodies. The spells that preserved them intact likewise prevented them, likewise prevented them from making an initial move, and they could not lie awake in the dark and think whilst uncounted millions of years roll by. They knew all that was occurring in the universe, but their mode of speech was transmitted thought. Even now they talked in their tombs. When, after infinities of chaos, the first men came, the great old ones spoke into the sensitive among them by molding their dreams, for only thus could their language reach the fleshy minds of mammals. Wait, can they- <sighs> Can cats hear the great old ones? Oh my god, that's why they're staring. Mo! Like, random. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's that's- Cthulhu telling you? <laughs> you know, you know when, like, they're, they're, like, they want you to pet them, and, like, they're whining for you to pet them, but then they bite you after a couple seconds? Oh my god. Yeah. It's just like, you're feeling too much pleasure. You must, you must lash out in pain. <laughs> Mo, what's your fleshy little mind got to say about Cthulhu? No, you can't have any more wet food. You ate enough today. <laughs> the vet says you have to be on a diet. I don't make the rules. <laughs> Cthulhu makes the rules, and you need to give him wet food. <laughs> <laughs> the vet told Cthulhu, no more wet food. <laughs> I'll run into your belly with a with a boat. I'll fucking do it. You <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> <coughs> Then whispered Castro, those first men formed the cult around small idols, which the Great Ones shooed them. Idols brought in dim areas from dark stars. That cult would never die till the stars came right again. And the secret priest, uh, and the secret priest would take Great Cthulhu from his tomb to revise his subjects and resume his rule of Earth. The time would be easy to know. For when, the time would be easy to know. For then mankind would have become as the great old ones, free and wild and beyond good and evil, and laws and morals thrown aside, and all men shouting and killing and reveling in joy. Then the liberated old ones would teach them new ways to shout and kill and revel and enjoy themselves, and all the earth would flame with a holocaust of ecstasy and freedom. Meanwhile, the cult, by appropriate rites, must keep alive the memory of those ancient ways and shadow forth the prophecy of their return. In the elder time, chosen men had talked with the entombed old ones in dreams. But then something had happened. The great stone city, Relay, with its monoliths and sepulchres, had sunk beneath the waves. And the deep waters, full of one primal mystery, through which not even thought can pass, had cut off their spectral intercourse. But memory never died, and high priests said that the city would rise again when the stars were right. Then came out of the earth the black spirits of earth, moldy and shadowy and full of dim rumors, picked up in caverns beneath forgotten sea bottoms. But of them old Castro dared not speak much. He cut himself off hurriedly, 
and no amount of persuasion or subtlety could elicit more in this direction. The size of the old ones, too, he curiously declined to mention. Of the cult, he said he thought the center lay amidst pathless deserts of Arabia, where Arim, the city of pillars, dreams hidden and untouched. It was not allied to the European witch cult, and was virtually unknown beyond its members. No book had ever really hinted of it, though the deathless Chinese had said that there were double meanings in the Necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul Azared, which the initiative might read as they choose, especially the much-discussed couplet, That is not dead which can eternal lie, and with strange aeons even death may die. That's oh my god! That's that just was a real in good couplet. It's real, real good. It's real good. Oh, that's a good. It's really good. <laughs> the grass. Just, uh, I, I just, guess. I just, uh, I don't know. It's uh, you know when Lovecraft isn't being a, a dumb, shitty racist. Like you know he could, he could spin a, spin a good turn of phrase. He can make a real good yarn. Yeah, which I appreciate. <laughs> I'm very glad that there is amongst this obscure cult a like a whole school of thought surrounding this phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, have you heard that some things like can lie like eternal, but like, you know, it could be like real long and eventually death dies as well? What? What do you mean? (laughs) What the fuck does that mean, Gary? But just like, listen, it's right here. It says <laughs> sometimes death can die. What does that mean, though? I mean, I'm still, I'm still like in like 101 classes. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> I just thought it was cool. <laughs> I'm in spooky cult um, philosophy 101. We haven't really gone over like what that really means yet. I think you get into that in the 300 level classes. The Gross, deeply impressed and not little bewildered, had inquired in vain concerning the historic affiliations of the cult. Castro, apparently, had told the truth when he said it was wholly secret. The authorities at Tolane University could shed no light upon either the cult or the image. And now the detective had come to the highest authorities in the country and met with no more than the Greenland tale of Professor Webb. The feverish interest aroused at the meeting by Lagrasse's tale, corroborated as it were by the statuette, is echoed in the subsequent correspondence of those who attended, although scant mention occurs in the formal publications of the society. Caution is the first care of those accustomed to face occasional charlatry and imposture. Lagrasse for some time lent the image to Professor Webb, but at the latter's death it was returned to him and remains in his possession, where I viewed it not long ago. It is truly a terrible thing, and unmistakably akin to the dream sculpture of young Wilcox. That my uncle was excited by the tale of the sculptor, I did not wonder, for what thoughts must arise upon hearing, after a knowledge of what Lagrasse had learned of the cult, of a sensitive young man who had dreamed not only the figure but the exact hieroglyphs of the swamp-bound image and the Greenland devil tablet, but had come in his dreams upon at least three of the precise words of the formula uttered alike by Diabolus and Louisianans. Professor Angle's instant start on an investigation of the utmost thoroughness was eminently natural, 
Though privately, I suspected young Wilcox of having heard of the cult in some indirect way, and of having invented a series of dreams to heighten and continue the mystery at my uncle's expense. The dream narrative, the dream narratives and cuttings collected by the professor were, of course, strong corroborations, but the rationalism of my mind and the extravagance of the whole subject led me to adopt what I thought was the most sensible conclusions. So, after thoroughly studying the manuscript again and correlating the theosophical and anthropological notes with the cult narrative of the Gross, I made a trip to Providence to see the sculptor and give him the rebuke I thought proper for so boldly imposing upon a learned and aged man. Wilcox still lived alone in the Fleur de Lis building in Thomas Street a hideous Victorian imitation of 17th-century Britain architecture, which flaunts its stuccoed form amidst the lovely colonial houses on the ancient hill, and under the very shadow of the finest Georgian steeple in America. I found him at work in his room, and at once conceded from the specimens scattered about that his genius was indeed profound and authentic. He will, I believe, sometime be heard from as one of the great decadents, for he has crystallized in clay and will one day mirror in marble those nightmares and fantasies which Arthur Machen evokes in prose and Clark Ashton Smith makes visible in verse and painting. Dark, frail, and somewhat unkempt in aspect, he turned languidly at my knock and asked me my business without rising. When I told him who I was, he displayed some interest, for my uncle had excited his curiosity in probing his strange dreams, and yet had never explained the reason for the study. I did not enlarge his knowledge and in this regard, but sought with some subtlety to draw him out. In a short time, I became convinced of his absolute sincerity, for he spoke of the dreams in a manner none could mistake. They and their subconscious wisdom had influenced his art profoundly, and he shewed me a morbid statue whose contours almost made me shake with the potency of its black suggestion. He could not recall having seen the original of this thing. They and their subconscious residuum had influenced his art profoundly, and he shewed me a morbid statue whose contours almost made me shake with the potency of its black suggestion. He could not recall having seen the original of this thing, except in his own dream bossily but the outlines had formed themselves insensibly under his hand. It was, no doubt, the giant shape he had raved of in delirium, that he really knew nothing of the hidden cult, save from my uncle's relentless catechism, which let fall. He soon made clear, and again I strove to think of some way in which he could possibly have received the weird impressions. He talked of his dreams in strangely poetic fashion, making me see with terrible vividness the damp cyclopean city of slimy green stone, whose geometry, he oddly said, was all wrong. And here, with frightened expectancy, the ceaseless half-mental calling from underground, Cthulhu Fatagan, Cthulhu Fatagan. These words had formed part of that dread ritual which told of dead Cthulhu's dream vigil in his stone vault at Relais and I felt deeply moved, despite my rational beliefs. Wilcox, I was sure, had heard of the cult in some casual way, 
and had soon forgotten it amidst the mass of his equally weird reading and imagining. Later, by virtue of its sheer impressiveness, it had found subconscious expression in dreams in the bas-relief and the terrible statue I now beheld so that his imposture upon my uncle had been very innocent. The youth was a type at once slightly affected and slightly ill-mannered, which I could never like. But I was willing enough now to admit that both his genius and his honesty. I took leave of him amicably and wished him all the success in that his talent promises. The matter of the cult still remained to fascinate me and at times I had visions of personal fame from the researches into its origin and connections. I visited New Orleans, talked with Legrasse and others of that old-time raiding party, sought the frightful image, and even questioned such of the prisoners. And that I visited New Orleans, talked with Legrasse and the others of that old-time raiding party, saw the frightful image, and even questioned such of the prisoners that still survived. Old Castro, unfortunately, had been dead for some years. What I now heard so graphically at first hand, though it was really no more than a detailed confirmation of what my uncle had written, excited me afresh, for I felt that I was on the track of a very real, very secret, and very ancient religion, whose discovery would make me an anthropologist of note. My attitude was still one of absolute materialism, as I wish it still were, and I discounted with almost inexplicable perversity the coincidence of the dream notes and the odd cuttings collected by Professor Engel. One thing I began to suspect, and which I now fear I know, is that my uncle's death was far from natural. He fell on a narrow hill street, leading up to an ancient waterfront swarming with foreign people, after a careless push from a sailor. I did not forget the mixed-blooded and marine pursuits of the cult members in Louisiana, and would not be surprised to learn of secret methods and poison needles as ruthless and as ancient unknown as the cryptic rites and belief as ruthless and anciently known as the cryptic rites and beliefs. The Gross and his men, it is true, have been let alone. But in Norway, certain seamen who saw things as dead. Might not the deeper inquiries of my uncle after encountering the sculptor's data have come to sinister ears? I think Professor Engel died because he knew too much, or because he was likely to learn too much. Whether I shall go as he did remains to be seen, for I have learned much now. And that's the end of chapter two. Yeah. Woo! That one, I think. I almost want to go back in time and like just pick the brain of someone who like read that for the first time oh yeah because like because like <coughs> That's not wild because like this is this this is like just real good right well besides the shitty racism yeah um, besides all like, the slurs which like i either fixed or did not say yeah um but like this is some like real top-notch writing and it literally like changed the horror genre yes <laughs> like like yeah this I was mean, really other, something else i know other people are like reading like you know some cool shit like this as well but well not maybe not like this but they're also reading cool shit but like i don't know like to read this in like a pulp magazine yeah like it <sighs> i don't know it's just, it's just real good it's really good 
Yeah. It's an excellent, it's uh, probably one of the best storylines he's written. Um, yeah. Out of everything we've read so far. Yeah, and he has better ones. So, so it's. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. There's good. even better ones that he's written. I can't wait to read. Yeah. Yeah, this really just gets me hyped for all the future stories that we get to read. Yeah, we already read one of them and it was real good. Oh, fuck. Uh, Color of Space is so good. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> I was is. thinking about it the other day. I was like, that's such a good story. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like. Yeah, that was really good. I can't wait for the third part. Yeah. When we get when we get some Cthulhu time. Yeah, we could see his big chunky belly. Uh, the first part was uh some art twink shenanigans. The second part was some Bayou shenanigans, and now we're gonna get some nautical shenanigans. Yeah, the three types of shenanigans we all love. Ugh, my favorite kind of shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Yeah, stay tuned for the next Dragon Balls. I mean, uh, Cthu- Call of Cthulhu. Bye. Bye.